Today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 14 as we continue our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word right now and we give you our attention. We thank you for your love for us that you bought our life with a price. So God, would you take this time in your word and cause our hearts to be open? Would you keep us from idolatry? Would you move us to serve one another in a greater way? And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been quite a story here in Colorado in the month of June. I'm sure you've probably heard about it. It's the Forest Fen Treasure. He's from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And 10 years ago, he decided to hide a treasure in the Rocky Mountains. He published a book and had a poem in the book. In this poem was the clue to find the treasure. So many, many thousands of people have been looking for this treasure over the last 10 years, and it was just found in June. They estimate 250,000 people have looked for uh, this treasure, that value is two million dollars. Four people died while they were in hunt for the treasure. Many people quit their jobs in search for the treasure. And Forrest's heart, Forrest Fenn's heart in hiding this treasure is he did it after the recession and he wanted to inspire hope and inspire people to have adventures in the outdoor. Many people took him up on the challenge. Many people saw the treasure as being worth the hunt. And as we study 1 Corinthians, we see the treasure of Jesus crucified. Jesus purchasing our lives with a price, causing us to live for his glory, causing us to respond and say, we're all in, in living for the glory of God. We're challenged in this section of scripture to live for God's glory. To be moved to the point where we say, I'm going to flee idolatry. I'm going to make sure that Christ has my priority and he has my, my passion. To make sure that we're serving one another, that we're aware of fellow believers' conscience and conviction and we're being very careful to not stumble them. To be willing to learn from godly examples. So I hope that Christ is elevated in our understanding. That his sacrifice is what resounds in our hearts and our minds, and it causes us to be moved to live for his glory. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. In living for God's glory, the first challenge that we receive is to flee idolatry, to, to run from idolatry. And Paul says that he is giving this to us as wise individuals. If, if we're wise, we'll heed this. If we're wise, we'll hear the warning to flee from idolatry. He also wants us to search it out for ourselves. Does this make sense to us? Does it line up with Scripture? Is it who Jesus is to flee from idolatry? In the Greek language, this word flee, it's an imperative, which means it's a command. It demands action. As we go through our text today, we're going to be looking at three imperative commands. And the idea of fleeing from idolatry 
is to run away from something that's going to bring damage to us. If you remember from chapter 6, we saw a similar exhortation to flee sexual immorality, that sexual sin can bring destruction to our hearts and our lives. And here, the exhortation is to flee idolatry. Last week in our study, we saw that idolatry is what tripped up the children of Israel. We were exhorted to learn from their bad example. Idolatry is putting anything above our relationship with the Lord. The passion, the priority that Christ is to have in our lives where we give that to something else or someone else. Throughout the Old Testament, we find the children of Israel falling into idolatry. Their kings falling into worshiping the false gods of those that surrounded them. David, however, stood out because with all of David's sin and his blunders, David never fell into idolatry. In Psalms 27, it says, one thing that I've desired, one thing that I will seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord and to behold his beauty, to inquire of his temple. Paul, or excuse me, David made it the priority of his life to keep the main thing the main thing, to make sure that he was worshiping the Lord. How about for us? Are we fleeing from idolatry? The best way to flee from idolatry is to passionately pursue our relationship with Christ. We can't be stagnant in our relationship with Christ. We can't be drifting in our relationship with Christ, but be pressing into him, drawing near to him, falling more in love with him. As we draw near to him, then he's going to draw near to us as well. So let's hear this exhortation to flee from idolatry. In verse 16, the cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This is the reason why we flee from idolatry. As Paul says, do we not have communion with the body of Christ and the blood of Christ? The word communion in the Greek is koinonia. It means fellowship, to share in common, to partake and to participate. So when we take communion and we remember the Lord's Supper, and I would encourage you to be celebrating communion at home. You can celebrate communion anywhere at any time as your heart is honoring Christ. So when we remember Christ's broken body, his shed blood, we're entering into fellowship. We're communing with Christ. We're in unity with Christ. It's his blood, it's his broken body that brings us into fellowship with him and brings us into relationship with him. Jesus took the cup of suffering upon the cross so that we could enjoy the cup of, of salvation. You'll see why this is important when it plays into idolatry in just a moment. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we are we all partake of that one bread. What happens to us when we partake of the body and the blood of Christ? The, the symbolic representation of his body and his blood is we are made one body. The broken body of Christ, his sacrifice upon the cross, brings us together as one unit. 
The nation of Israel understood this in sharing a meal together. It's largely this way still in the Middle East. If you have someone into your home and you break bread, you're expressing that you're one together. In Jesus' time, they would lean upon each other, sit upon the ground and lean upon each other and dip into the same bowls, sharing the same loaf of bread, showing that we're one. What makes us one is the blood of Jesus Christ, is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a beautiful expression of God's love for us. We have different people, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, all brought together because we're one in Christ. Christ is the ultimate unifier, brings us together as one. Verse 18, observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Paul takes us back to the Old Testament. It says, when they were offering up the meat sacrifice to God, there would be part of that sacrifice that would be given to the Lord and then part of it that they were able to eat. And in that was showing communion. God received part of the animal sacrifice. They received part of the animal sacrifice. It's an expression of that fellowship with God, that that communion with God. What am I saying then that an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Paul's reminding us that If meat is offered to an idol, it's not anything because you could go ahead and eat that meat that was offered to an idol because the idol in and of itself is not anything. However, verse 20, rather than the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So Paul's saying that you have permission to eat meat offered to idols. In no way is he condoning or encouraging idolatry. In fact, he gives us a deeper view on what is happening with idolatry. With idolatry, these false religions, they would lift up an image, a carved man-made image that they would then worship But behind this idol is a demonic influence. And a lot of the idols would involve sexual sin as well. As they engaged in idolatry, they would engage in in sexual sin. And in our lives, there isn't necessarily this statue that we're bowing down to in our culture with idolatry. But idolatry is alive and well. We think of selfishness as an idol, the worshiping of of ourselves. And when we begin to worship ourselves, entering into that form of idolatry, there's a demonic influence behind that, encouraging us down that road to lead us into bondage. Because we know what Satan's mission statement is, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. So idolatry is something that Satan used to bring destruction into our lives. There's a demonic influence when it comes to the love of money. Because money in our culture and our society has become an idol. We worship money and we long to have more money. And we think if we have money that we're going to be satisfied and we're going to be fulfilled. But Paul wrote to us, encouraged us, that 
The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So when someone begins to worship money, then there's a demonic influence there. We have worshiped sex and sexual sin. And when someone worships sex and that becomes the God of of their lives and sexual sin, then there's a demonic influence that is behind that idolatry. This may sound extreme to you, but in Deuteronomy 32, verse 17, it says, they sacrificed to demons, not to gods. To gods they didn't know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. They sacrificed to demons. In James chapter 3, there's this contrast between a godly influence and a demonic influence. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So there is a demonic wisdom. For where there are envy and self-seeking, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's a godly wisdom and there is a demonic wisdom. So be very careful. Church, be careful what you give your worship to. Because you become like what you worship. You're influenced by what you worship. And when God is the object of our worship, the object of our affection and our our passion, then we become like the Lord. Worshiping the Lord is the best thing for us. But when we give our worship to anything other than Him, we go down this road of destruction. So this is a strong exhortation from God's word to flee from idolatry. In verse 21, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? We can't have it both ways. We can't have this communion, this fellowship, this closeness with the Lord that is at the communion table with his blood and his broken body, then enter into idolatry and be at the cup and the table of demons, it's going to provoke the Lord to jealousy. The greatest analogy, the greatest picture that we have of this communion that we have with Christ is marriage between a husband and a wife. Between a husband and a wife, there is a a koinonia. There's a sharing in common to the point where it's inappropriate to commit adultery with against your spouse against the lord because it breaks and it hinders that fellowship that you have with your spouse god in the old testament with the children of israel when they were in idolatry he called it spiritual adultery when we give something else other than god our passion and our affection it's spiritual adultery and it affects our relationship with God. The biggest tragedy of idolatry 
is that broken fellowship with the Lord. God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. But we're not enjoying that sweet communion with the Lord. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Is it possible that you've gone down this road of idolatry? Is it possible that our priorities have gotten misplaced? That we're trying to enjoy communion with the Lord, but also sitting at the table of demons. Thankfully, God is a God of restoration when there's repentance, to turn away from those idols and turn back to the Lord. But don't be deceived. You can't have it both ways. You can't eat from both tables. You can't drink from both cups. In verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Paul is speaking here of liberties that we have, not commands. There's many commands that God gives us in scriptures, but this is liberties that we have in the Lord. And with our liberties, with our freedom that we have, we need to ask the question, if I engage in this action or attitude, is it helpful and is it edifying? Does it help others? Does it build others up? Is it helpful to me? Does it build me up? And if the answer is no, then that's an indication that we shouldn't be doing those things. We want to use the liberties that God has given us to be helpful and edifying. Here comes the second imperative of the text, and it's to seek the well-being of others. The word seek in verse 24. Let no one seek his own but each one the other's well-being. The discussion here is this meat that's offered to idols. Maybe it pricks another believer's conscience to where they don't feel comfortable with it. Even though you have that liberty in the Lord to eat that meat, seek their well-being. And this gives us a principle. It gives us a truth. It gives us a, a way of life. Of, as we live for God's glory, as we're touched by the treasure of Christ and wanting Christ to be lived out in our daily lives, how that looks in practicality is to not seek our own well-being, but to seek the well-being of others. We are insanely selfish. We are born with that sinful nature, and that selfishness is strong in our hearts and our lives. You, you look at a young toddler, and you can see that selfishness inside of them. So it's easy for us to go down this road of, of selfishness. But the key to a relationship with God and a relationship with others is to not be self-centered, but to, to seek the well-being of others. You probably find so much joy in your life when you seek to serve someone else, when you put their needs before your own. So when we say, I, I have the liberty to do this, but I'm choosing to set aside this liberty so that I can build up a fellow believer that glorifies the Lord and it brings joy in our hearts and our lives. One way to enter into despair, depression, is focus on ourselves. Be selfish. That is going to lead to despair in our lives, hands down. In verse 25, eat what has ever sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. So if 
Corinthian believers in the meat market, they don't need to stop and ask, has this meat been offered to idols? They can enjoy the sale, enjoy the, the good deal, and eat that meat under the Lord because the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you asking no questions for conscience sake. So if you go over to a friend's house for dinner, don't ask, hey, was this offered to a false god? Because that will then prick your conscience, but just enjoy the meat under the Lord. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. So if you are eating and do discover that this meat has been sacrificed to an idol, don't eat it, not because it's wrong to eat it, but because you might be offending someone else. You might be offending another believer. You may notice that this was put in here twice, that the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. It's not an error. In fact, it's a point of emphasis. If you say something two or three times, it's for the point of emphasis. As parents, we often do this. We will say things several times for the point of, of emphasis. And so there is a lesson here, and that is that the earth belongs to the Lord in all of its fullness. And so we should be enjoying all of the blessings that God gives us. We should be enjoying meat and vegetables and everything that he has provided for God's glory. I believe that we as God's children, as believers, should be enjoying this earth and all of its fullness more than anyone else because we know the creator. The creator is our father. When we see the sunset, we're able to rejoice in our father. When we're able to walk in the mountains and enjoy a beautiful meadow, see some red rocks, we're able to glorify the father. We were able to do some tent camping earlier in the week, and I just enjoyed it so much. Just enjoyed my family and enjoyed being out in the mountains, being out in God's creation and the stillness. We should be enjoying what the Lord has created for us. Verse 29, conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? So this question, why should I lose my liberty due to someone else's conscience? Why should my liberty be judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness, so shouldn't I just be enjoying this under the Lord? Why am I being judged for the food that I'm eating? Why am I being judged for the, the drink that I am enjoying? Here's the reason why. Verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The reason that we lay down our freedom, our liberty, for somebody else's conscience is because we desire for God to be glorified. All for his glory. We're seeking someone else's benefit for the glory of God. 
Jesus laid down his freedoms. Jesus laid down his rights to the point of going to the cross, to the point of being the ransom for many for our sins, left the comfort of heaven, made himself of no reputation, was despised and rejected for our salvation. So for us, as we're impacted by the gospel, as we're impacted by the grace and the goodness of God, this treasure that has been bestowed upon us, we respond in saying, I want to do everything for the glory of God. So if this meat that was offered to idols is causing someone else to stumble, I'll lay it down for God's glory. What's some applications for us in in this way? You may be able to watch a certain movie and not feel convicted by, by the Lord, but you have a fellow brother or sister in Christ, and they go, man, I just, I can't watch that. I don't have any peace in my relationship with God if I, I watch that. Don't try to talk them into it. <laughs> don't try to say, well, this is the reasons why this movie is good. Honor their conscience. Honor their conviction. You may feel a freedom in the Lord to drink alcohol. We know God's standard on alcohol is to not get drunk and not cause someone else to stumble. And you may have that freedom in the Lord to drink in, in moderation. But another believer in their genuine conscience before God may be in a place where they say, I, I don't have any peace in drinking alcohol. God has called me not to, to drink alcohol. Don't try to talk him into it. Be willing to lay down your liberty to be able to build up that brother or sister in Christ. This is a time where we're all navigating things differently. You're going to have believers that are really convicted to wear face masks with the COVID virus outbreak. And then other believers that will be at a place where they don't want to wear a mask. And instead of judging each other, we should honor each other's convictions in that way and even seek to serve one another. If we know that someone doesn't feel comfortable with not having masks, then we would choose to to wear masks to be able to, to serve them. You know, you have differing opinions among believers of some believers that are really feeling called to make a stand against the government and saying we we want our voice to be heard in regards to some of these restrictions. And then you have other believers that say we need to submit to the government and the the fear of the Lord. And guess what? You be convinced in your own mind (laughs) in that regard. But we need to make sure that we're serving each other in the midst of those convictions, that we're serving those in the midst of our our conscience, that we're always going back to the scripture and looking at the truth of scripture and desiring to love the Lord and love one another. Has this become the guideline of our lives? If I could try to speak to your heart, then the Holy Spirit would, would move our hearts that the Holy Spirit would, would inspire us? Have we gotten to this place where we're saying, God, I want to live for your glory. Whatever I do, whatever I eat, whatever I drink, even the food that I eat and what I drink, I want you to be glorified in that. The words that I say, God, I desire for you to be glorified. We only have one life to live and it's short. We don't know when Christ is going to return for the rapture of the church. We pray that it's soon. 
We know that our lives are short. We're always standing on that ledge of eternity. And with life being short, we want to live for God's glory. Verse 32, give no offense either to Jew or to Greeks or to the church of God. We don't want to offend fellow believers. This is not condoning backing down from truth. We know that the truth is going to be offensive. In context here, it's saying lay down the right to be able to eat meat that's offered to idols to make sure that you're not giving an offense to a Greek or a Jew. The Greeks and Jews have a very different culture and there was this huge division between Jews and Gentiles that Jesus broke down that barrier because of his sacrifice. And as this love is being lived out, they had to be careful to not offend each other. They had to be careful to not stumble one another and violate one another's consciences. In verse 33 just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul says, I make myself a servant of unbelievers so that they may come to know Christ, but I also seek to serve all men so that they may grow in their relationship with the Lord. So Paul's serving unbelievers and he is serving believers. Is that how we see ourselves? Is that how we see our lives? Is the importance of being a servant. I love God and I want to serve God and that's going to be expressed in serving people. Serving believers and serving unbelievers. If there's ever a time to be serving, serving the Lord by serving people, it's right now. It seems like everybody's just at this boiling point. It doesn't take a lot to cause things to erupt. It's easy to be frustrated at the store and on the roads and the workplace. I know that relationships are under tension. And for us to say, Lord, I just want to serve. Jesus really loved people. He really cared for people. He got into their lives. He saw the individual. And for us to to love and to be able to serve. We're going to go on to verse 1 of chapter 11. It really fits better with this uh, paragraph. Many of you know that the chapters and verses were added by Bible translators. So verse 1 of chapter 11, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And this is our last imperative. The word imitate is an imperative. It's a command. And it gives us this application is imitate godly examples. Last week we learned about learning from bad examples, but this week we're encouraged to imitate godly examples. And Paul says that he's imitating Jesus. You're going to allow someone or something to influence your life and make sure it's the Lord. Put the Lord up on that place of honor. Only he deserves to be upon a pedestal and imitate him. And Paul has devoted his life to imitating Christ And he says, look, you can imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is a godly example of choosing to serve the body in this way. Being willing to lay down his rights, lay down his freedoms for the benefit of the body of Christ. So we can learn from Paul's godly example. The power of imitation is humbling. 
You watch a young child with their parents and a young child imitates their parents, learning to laugh and talk and eat and walk. It it all comes from observing the parents and imitating that behavior. That's what's so humbling about being a parent. It's like, where did you learn that? Oh, you, you learned that from me, right? I remember being a young kid and my dad would be out mowing the lawn and I had my plastic mower and I would follow him and I would walk just like he walked, have my shirt off just like he had his shirt off. And when my son was younger, he did the same thing when I was mowing the lawn. He'd follow me around with his, his plastic mower. And this is a great way to learn the Christian life is to find godly examples and to learn from them. Now, please understand that person is not Jesus. Don't put them on the same level as Jesus, but it is the way that we learn. Do you have godly examples in your life? And if the answer is no, you need to seek out some relationships inside of the body of Christ. This is why it's so important be in men's ministry, be in women's ministry, be in small groups. There's going to be small groups that open up in the fall. And make sure you get into a small group. You know believers, pursue relationships with them. Make time to be in relationship with believers because there's a level of learning in the Christian life that can only happen through relationship. As you observe someone's relationship with the Lord, you see how they love the Lord and love their families and express their love for God in their workplace and, and in their neighborhood. So, so seek out those godly examples to be able to learn from because it's a powerful way of instruction. Living for God's glory, living for his glory. I want you to turn with me to John 17. John 17. Because Jesus lived for the glory of the Father. This is verse 1 of John 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. The hour that Jesus is speaking of is the cross. Jesus is so committed to the glory of the Father that he says, I'm willing to go to the cross. Glorify your son on the cross so that people can know your glory. Have we been so touched by the glory of God, the goodness of God, that we want people to know God's glory? We say the purpose of my life is for God to be glorified. If that's the case, if that's the case, we're going to flee idolatry because we want God to be glorified. We don't want anything to hinder our fellowship with God. If we truly desire for God to be glorified, we're going to start to seek the benefit of others. Husbands, start to seek the benefit of your wife, her well-being. Fathers, seek the well-being of your children. Wives, serve your husbands, serve your children. Let's serve the body of Christ. This is such an important time to be serving one another. Not condemning one another, not looking down on other believers, but really loving and serving. Reach out. If there's a believer that you're missing, you're missing them, reach out to them. Send them a text, call them, call them on the phone. Go to work with this perspective of saying, how can I seek the well-being of others? 
because of the glory of God. In our neighborhoods, how can I seek the the well-being of others? Because of God's glory to put ourselves in the position where we're learning from godly examples that hopefully by God's grace we can provide a godly example. God's been so good and so gracious to us and out of that grace we respond by living for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together. I thank you for everyone that's worshiping and listening. God, would you bless them? May this be more than words that are on a page, but as we go our way, may we truly choose to live for your glory. So God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.